What if the church adopted a whatever-it-takes attitude when it came to fulfilling the Great Commission here in Greene County, Morgan County, Putnam County? What if we said, whatever, whatever it takes to fulfill that Great Commission, that's what we want to do? What if, what if we took a whatever-it-takes attitude towards growing disciples, maturing them in the faith. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, whatever actions, whatever we need to do, that's what we're going to do. What if we took a whatever it takes attitude to building bridges of hope to connect with hurting, hopeless people? Building bridges across economic lines, across cultural lines, across racial line, bridges of hope where we could go to them and they could come to us or we could meet in the middle. Now, before you start to think, well, this is sounding an awful lot like a uh, rah-rah halftime speech when we're behind by two touchdowns. It's not what this is intended to be. Not at all. Words are good. Words can be powerful. But words alone won't change anything. We need a willingness to see what God sees when he looks at our community. We need a heart that is willing to sense what God feels when he looks at our community. And we need men and women and teenagers who would step forward and say unequivocally, here I am. Send me. God, here I am. Use me. God, here I am. Speak through me. God, here are my hands and here are my feet. If you will direct me, I will go where you lead. If you will show me, I will touch whomever it is you call me to touch. God, here's my voice. If you'll direct me, I will go and say whatever it is you call me to say. Words of comfort or words of conviction. In other words, God, here I am. Whatever it takes, make me into that man, that woman that you need in such a time as this. And who knows? If we could... If even a fraction of us would embrace a whatever-it-takes attitude, I am firmly convinced that we could change our community and begin to change the world. I stood under one of the awnings at a football practice last week. I think it was Wednesday. I went to watch Green County football, and it started... Uh, just the practice started to rain and so I stepped under the one of the awnings under uh, around the ticket booth and I stood there with another pastor and we began to have a conversation that looked very much or sounded very much like the conversation that we had five years ago and as I walked away from there my heart was just broken we've seen some wonderful things that have happened in this church in the families in this church, 
And we've seen some good things that have happened in our community, lives, families that have been radically changed. But as I looked out there at the players running back and forth on the field and as I looked at the students who were just kind of gathered hiding from the raindrops and as I took a glance over at the buildings, the, the high school, the middle school, the elementary school, folks, I recognize there's so much more that can be done, that should be done, that must be done. We don't have all their names on this cross. This cross is just a small segment of the people who are in desperate need of a relationship with Jesus Christ, who are in desperate need of a hope that cannot be taken from them, who are in desperate need of something who will grab them out of what is and take them to what will be. Satan's fighting it every step of the way. And there are people on his side fighting it every step of the way. But Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. Now you need to understand something. Gates are a defensive posture, which tells you already up front that he's a loser. He's already holed up. All he can do is shoot fiery arrows from where he is. He's already lost. This is a spiritual Alamo and he's locked in it. But those gates will not prevail against the church. We can crash those gates. We can assault those gates. And we will prevail. If. If we're willing to embrace a whatever it takes attitude. Now, now. Pastor, where do you get that concept? Let me take you, if you would, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 19 to 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. And I want you to hear the heart of the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word? Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Father, help us to understand and apply this word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Let me tell you a little bit about the guy who wrote these words. 
The man who wrote these words was born and given the name of Saul. He was a Jew. He grew up as a Pharisee, which means he understood the law backwards and forwards. He had a great grasp on the scriptures. He was a leader among people, and he was even a leader among the Pharisees. So much so that when the church began to grow in the book of Acts, we find that this man named Saul was sent out to lead the efforts to arrest Christians and to persecute them and even to see oversee their execution. This is the man who wrote these words. And this is what he wrote prior to his meeting Christ on the road to Damascus. He says, then, then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs, and I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus authorizing me to bring Christians from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. This was a life, as Paul describes it, this was his life before meeting Christ. This was the man that he was before establishing a relationship with Jesus. But once Saul believed, Once he accepted that Jesus was God's Messiah who died on a cross for him and rose again on the third day to victory. Once he accepted it, believed it, embraced it, he took that same passion with which he persecuted the church and began to plant and nurture the church. The same passion with which he had tried to destroy the church, he now turned it around and devoted himself to building up this same church. He was sold out. Absolutely sold out to follow the call of Jesus in his life. And if people were lost, Paul said, I am intent on sharing the good news with them. Paul had been wrapped up prior to that in a performance-based religion. If I do this, God will approve of me. If I do this, God will love me. If I follow these laws, God will be happy. He was constantly trying to win God's approval by his lifestyle, his religious efforts. But he came to understand in knowing Christ that his standing before God was not based on his own self-effort, but on what was already done for him by Jesus Christ on the cross. Salvation was not by works, not to be earned, but it was by God's grace to be received. And he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says, I am set free. I no longer have to strive to win God's favor, to earn my salvation. Paul was saved and he was certain of it. 
He was saved and he was certain of it. And you know, with that knowledge, he could have merrily gone about his own way, doing his own thing, enjoying that relationship with Jesus, enjoying the fact that no matter what happened to him, he had a home in heaven that God had accepted him, received him, loved him, embraced him, and now he was forgiven. He could have just enjoyed that and ignored the world around him. He could have, but he didn't. He wrote in verse 19, as what we read in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 19 he says, Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul said, I'm a free man. I've been set free by Jesus. And I'm not obligated to do anything to keep my salvation. But freedom for him in Christ was something different. He said, I am free, and therefore I will use my freedom as an opportunity to win as many as possible to the faith. That's how I'm going to use my freedom. I don't know if you uh, have a chance to see, because when anybody wins the lottery, I mean big money, big money to me is like, uh, you know, Happy Meal money, but uh, I mean big money, you know, multi-millions, you know, six-figure they, yeah, they're winning $250 million uh, in the lottery. Uh, they put them up, and they find out who it is. They stand them up in front of a microphone, TV camera, and, and they start saying, well, what, what are you going to do with the money? Because, you see, what's happened to them is they've gone from a position of either poverty or probably meager means. They've, they've gone from that now to having Wealth beyond really anything they could have imagined accumulating in their lifetimes. They've been, they've been given, not, I'm not encouraging you to go play the lottery, but I'm giving you an example. They've been given something they did not have before, which opened up all kinds of doors to opportunity for them that they didn't have before. And now they have the freedom to choose to do with their lives what they want to do with it. I can quit my job. I can go buy a small island somewhere and let the whole world just rot away and I'll be happy just sitting on the beach, you know, drinking a glass of iced tea. Well, that's what I would do. But anyway, you you get the picture. Or they could go, you know what? What could $250 million do for the kingdom of God? They have the free, they could choose either one, buy an island or try to save souls. They have a choice. Uh, Back when our whole family went to Africa, we revised our wills because all of us were going. So we had to, you know, put in that factory and what happened if none of us survived the trip. Jay wasn't real happy about that. On the plane, he was like, he was a little worried we were all going to go down. But, you know, we survived. But it was kind of weird because Nancy and I were sitting there and we were going, okay, here's, here's, what's, here, here's what we would have from insurance and, and, you know, all this stuff. Here's, here's the pot of money that we would have. And we began to say, okay, well, obviously we've got no children to give it to. And so we began to envision where we wanted this money to go if something were to happen to all of us. 
And Nancy got super excited about this. She, she, was, she was like, wow, we could do this, and we could do this, and we could do this. I'm thinking, sure, we have to die first. <laughs> she skipped over that part. But, but here's what I'm saying. He had now a freedom that he'd never had before. He was free in Christ. He was saved and secure in that. Nothing could take that away. Now I can live any way I want to is what Paul's saying. I can do anything. I am a free man. But I choose as a free man to devote myself to the cause of the gospel. Once he tasted freedom from Christ, Paul was compelled inwardly to offer that freedom to all who would receive it, no matter the cost and no matter what it took to do it. That was the man formerly known as Saul that we know as the Apostle Paul, whom God used to plant churches all over the known world and to carry the gospel from places of poverty to places of wealth to the very center of the Roman world, to Rome itself, although he had to do it from a prison cell. Paul says to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law to win those under the law. To those who were not under the law, I became like one not under the law so as to win them. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Paul basically says, the freedom I have in Christ means I am free now to do whatever it takes to win some. And, and don't miss this. The reason, the reason that Paul was willing to go to such extremes to meet people where they were is because he didn't want to leave them where they were. Think about that. Paul, we, we talked about this, being able to see and have compassion. Paul, his vision completely changed. He began to look and see what Jesus saw. That people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart was moved with compassion for those who didn't know Jesus. He was convicted deeply that he could do something about it. And he devoted himself to setting other people free. His aim was to win others. It says it five times in those few verses we just read. To win others. What clarified a win for Paul? Well, we don't have to guess. He says, I've become all things to all people so that all, by all possible means I might save some. That's the win for Paul. To save some. That's Paul's win. Let me ask you, if someone came to you and asked you, uh, how would you define a win for your life? What is winning in your life? Oh, winning, winning in my life is having enough money so that when I hit 63, 65, 67, 70, I'm able to retire and not have to worry about finances. That's a win for me. 
A win for me is being able to pay off my house before I retire. A win for me would be able to have a car free and clear. A win for me would be able to have a job where I could support my wife and kids, my family. I'd have a job, a steady job. That's a win for me. A win for me would be able to graduate high school and to go on to college. A win for me would be to get a job. A win for me. How would you define it? If you went to Paul and said, Paul, what's a win for you? How do you know you're winning in life? Paul would say, are people being saved? Are people going from death to life, from darkness to light? Are they experiencing salvation? That's a win. That's winning for me. And he understood something. That many would reject. But some would not. Do you see it? He wrote this. To win some. And we've got to come to that realization ourselves. There are over 7 billion people in the world. There are over 10 million people in the state of Georgia. And there are over 14,000 people in Greene County. And I don't care how zealous we are, how creative we are, or how passionate we are. We will never, ever, ever, ever see all of them come to Christ. But some will. That's the win. Some will. Some will be saved. Some will come to Christ. Some will embrace the faith. Some will see their lives radically changed. Some will join us in making other disciples. But some of you are already sitting out there and going, wait, pastor, here, hang on. I'm not Paul. You already said that Paul was unique, and he was. He was a Pharisee. He knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, quote chapter and verse, had one of those memories. You, you know people, you know people like this. If they've ever read it, they remember it. And you hate those people. Now, you don't hate them, but I mean, you, you look at that and go, man, I, I can't remember what I have for breakfast, which I've completely lost some of you now because you'll be thinking, what did I have for breakfast? Paul, mind like a steel trap that wasn't rusted shut. He could, he, could, he could remember these things. He could quote scriptures. He could stand toe-to-toe with the elite and debate them. You go, I couldn't do that. He was also a Roman citizen, which gave Paul an advantage that, that Peter and James and that crew didn't have. He was a Roman citizen. That meant he could go wherever he wanted to go. He was not not subject to some of the laws that non-Romans were subject to. He had a greater freedom than non-Romans had. And so you look at that and then you look at, he can debate in Athens and he can go talk to people by the side of a creek somewhere. And I'm not Paul. I don't have that giftedness. I'm not not a clear communicator. I'm not eloquent. I I don't know that much. I I don't relate. And I look at this and and I hear what you're saying, Pastor, and I can agree with you in principle, but in reality, I'm not Paul. 
This ain't me. This is not, this is not talking about me because Paul was ideally suited to do what God called him to do, and you don't feel that you are. But let me tell you something. Here's the beauty. The beauty of God's church. You don't have to be all things to all people. Together, we can be. Don't miss this. You don't have to be. In fact, odds are you cannot be all things to all people. But together, we can be. Look around. Seriously, I'm giving you permission now. Turn around. You can see who's sitting behind you. see who's sitting across from you. Go ahead, look around. Notice, as you look, look around, notice the diversity within this building right here. And I'm not just talking about skin color. There's that. But there's a diversity of where you are economically. Some of you are very well off economically. Some of you literally struggle week to week to pay the bills. When you look around, you see people who've had completely different experiences than you've had. Some of you have been married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Some of you have been divorced two or three times. You've got different experiences. Some of you have had a life that's relatively easy and trouble-free, and some of you have known trouble ever since the day you were born. Some of you are physically fit and able to do what you want to do, and some of you live with chronic pain. When I talk about diversity, I'm getting beyond skin color. I, I'm, let's, get, let's get beyond skin deep. Let's get inside. We are a diverse group of people with a diverse group of gifts and a diverse group of experiences. Completely different. There's no two of you that are exactly alike. And that's the beauty of the church of God. God brings this distinctiveness, this diversity together, and he weaves us together as the body of Christ. And what we cannot do in and of ourselves, what we cannot do alone, we can do together. You have the ability to reach people that I would never, ever reach. Sometimes, you know, I have parents that will go, oh, my children started, my child started asking questions about Jesus. What do I do? What do I do? You need to come over here and talk to my child about Christ. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather sit you down and say, okay, here's what you need to do to talk to your child about Christ. Why? Because I've got to build a bridge. You already have it built. You're already in their lives. They already know you. They'll listen to you. Me, I'm just a guy that stands up on Sunday morning and runs his mouth. What, who am I? Some of you who have had a lot of loss in your life, I've had some, but I haven't had a lot. Some of you that lost children, You can come up beside someone who's lost a child in a way that I can't. You can touch them in ways that there's no way I could ever touch them. These experiences that you've had that have left scars or wounds, I'm going to ask you for the sake of the kingdom to leverage that. 
It's a bad thing. We'll just call it what it is. Will you allow God to use that to be a bridge into the life of someone else? To meet them where they are and have the knowledge of where they are? You've been betrayed. You've been hurt. You've been abused. You've been abandoned. You've been neglected. It's not good. But God's word promises that he will work all things, good, bad, and otherwise, together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Don't we overlook that part? We always say, oh, God's going to work everything out for my good. Hang on. Yes, and for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who are willing to put whatever circumstances life has brought your way, whatever issues, whatever challenges, whatever problems have come into your life, and you're going to say, okay, God, I want you to work these things out so I feel good. And God says, hang on. I got something bigger and better in store. Not only am I going to work it out where you can embrace this, where you can have peace in the midst of this, where you can have hope in the midst of this, where you can have joy in the midst of this, I'm going to use this as a diving board, as a springboard to push you out into the community and to fulfill your purpose, my purpose for your life, the way I designed you. I'm going to tell you right now, David and Divide. Yeah, you might want to sit up. I'm talking to you. Okay, good. Now, <laughs> that's all right. I love them. They, th- these guys right here, they came to know Christ, and Christ is changing their lives. Okay? Two young men in the Greene County school system, you have friends that you can reach that I can't reach. I'm serious. You, you know people that I will never know. You can relate in ways that I will never relate. I mean, when I look in the mirror, I see the epitome of cool. But when your friends look at me, it probably ain't what they see. Okay. Sorry. I could turn my hat sideways. It's not helping. You can relate in ways I can never relate. And it's not just true for David and Devon. It's true for all of you. Ed Clements, you can relate to people that I will never relate ever relate to thank goodness (laughs) leverage it use it don't let it go to waste god has already built bridges from your lives into the lives of other people use that daniel used it daniel brought used it his business he built a bridge into the life of of William Lavelle and now who's the smiling face you see that has stepped up to kind of fill in for Dean while he's recuperating we haven't we haven't retired you by the way Dean who's the smiling face you see when you walk in the building on Sunday morning it's my buddy Pee Wee right here that's awesome that's the way God made it to be And when we we say that as a church, we want to do whatever it takes to be all things to all people in order to win some. What we're saying is, 
there are places that I can't go and ministries that I can't do nearly as effectively as you can. But if you do what God's calling you to do, where God's calling you to do it, and I do what God's calling me to do, where God's put me, wow. I don't know some of the people on this cross. You do. You already have a bridge. You have an opportunity that I will never have. I will pray with you for them. But odds are God's tapping you on the shoulder to reach them. We have to do whatever it takes. In Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he goes on to add, How can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one that they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? You go, I'm not a preacher. No, but you've got a story to tell. You've got a Savior who loved you enough that despite of the person you were and everything that you'd done and said and the ways that you had rejected his will and his plan for your life, and, and no matter how far and no matter how hard you tried to run from him, you have a story of a God whose grace was big enough to reach out and embrace you and to bring you to himself and begin to change your life, not just your eternity, but your life. Use it, leverage it. The Bible is very clear. Jesus himself said that if a person isn't born again, they will not see the kingdom. Okay, I didn't make that up. Jesus said it. Argue with him. That means apart from Christ, there's no hope. How will they hear if no one tells them? And so, I want to do something I've never done before in a church setting. I want to ask you who have a whatever-it-takes attitude or who at least want to have it. I want you to raise your right hand, just like you're being sworn in at a court. I hereby as pastor of Grace Fellowship deputize you as a missionary and a minister of Jesus Christ to do whatever it takes to win some. Amen. All right, you now have been officially sent. So hit the doors running. Don't trip over anybody. Could there be anything greater than to call your friend who's on this cross that you wrote up there and say, listen, is there any way we could have lunch? Is there any way I could take you out to dinner? I got something I just need to share with you. This is, what, this is what's happened in my life. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. 
I'm praying that you will experience this too. Whatever it takes. That's up to you.